0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Endeavors. On today's show, I speak with filmmaker Kaz Firpo and wood artist Jesse Toso. That's all coming up on Endeavors. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of Endeavors. This is going to be the second of three shows this week, as I previously mentioned on Monday, as I just try to catch up with myself. And speaking of catching up, my first guest is Kaz... Furpo. He most recently was the co-writer for a little movie you might have heard of called Eternals. The latest Marvel movie. But beyond that, Kaz also thinks of himself as a storyteller and environmentalist and even experimental filmmaker and none of this is more evident in his YouTube mini-series Signals, the pilot episode of which incorporates live-action, animation, documentary, voiceover narration, and much more. It's a mishmash of many different things that really just talks about how serious climate change and pollution really is, and what we as a society need to do to essentially get better and to... save the planet it is a story of our relationship with plastic from the origins and lifestyle of a plastic bottle to the myths of recycling a live action and animation messed up told through a series of chapters signals is a call to action for the internet age each chapter takes on a different format from stop-motion animation to photorealistic CG to live-action comedy and is produced by creative talent from around the world. Participants hail from Maui, South Africa, Amsterdam, Spain, Okinawa, Indonesia, and more. Co-created by Kaz Firpo and Mackenzie Shepard, and produced by Ari Yamakawi. Uh, I mentioned Kaz Firpo. Uh, He's also a photographer. He graduated from New York's Tisch School of the Arts. Uh... In 2016 he focused on the Syrian refugee crisis creating the Refuge Project a multimedia chronicle that premiered at South by Southwest and he's also communicated with UNICEF WWF and Peace Direct He's the writer of seven feature films including the upcoming postwar drama Ruin starring Margot Robbie and the near future thriller Mimi from Rio with Ridley Scott He is Kaz Ferpo here is our conversation um victoria is like the one of the greenest cities like just in terms of you know our our deputy leader was the leader of the uh, provincially the green party you know the uh, elizabeth may who was the green party leader is from the island you know so there's uh plus we plus from the coast right so there's a love for the environment over here i think that is uh, greater than maybe other parts of the country. Yeah. Part of the culture. I mean, it it usually, it's hard to say sometimes, sometimes uh, I mean, Malaysia, you know, we we shot a lot of our scenes for signals down in um, Okinawa and those Southern beaches and they love the environment too, but those beaches are just being trashed on a daily basis. And that's thanks to the uh, ocean currents, but please, kick it off i'm very grateful to be here What you uh, i mean how how are how are things over where you are right now i know i know london was going through some Tough times with... I, I am based in uh, Los Angeles, California. I'm actually here just for one more night. It was last night was the premiere of my film that I wrote, um, The Eternals, which is on a, a very different scope and scale. Yeah. <laughs> than signals, but, you know, dealing with the same kind of save the world mentality, uh, similar energies. So yeah, the, premier, the London premiere was last night. Um, it was a great pleasure to be here. I'm here in a hotel uh, that they're putting me up at and i'll be back in los angeles tomorrow night Uh, how how was that quickly just before we talk about signals because the consensus is is that eternals you know you they you you went through the first four i guess the first four phases of marvel um and eternals could be one of the films that's the hallmark of phase five or 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 the new marvels as, as as they're calling it um How does it feel to be attached to that? Yeah, it's been a long journey. Obviously, this movie was supposed to come out almost exactly a year ago to the day Um, we had this pandemic you may have heard of. And since then, it's sort of been a uh, funny journey to the screen. But obviously, this is a movie we've been involved with since the absolute inception. I remember sitting down with Kevin and Nate, uh, the producers of the film. And we were having these conversations about, you know, what would it be like to have superheroes? I, I remember saying I was a classics minor. I studied, you know, ancient Greek and Roman literature in school. And I remember saying, like, you know, the gods were just the superheroes 2000 years ago. You know, it's the same stories yeah. we've been telling all this time about people who are stronger, better, you know, faster than us with different powers. Um fighting enemies fighting monsters you know let's let's tell a story that explores that the origins of all of that so no it's a, it's one of the great pleasures of my life to tell a story that i hope millions and millions of people all over the world will see um it's something that i like to say is a 10 year an over a 10 year overnight success you know i've been working for this for uh since i was about 12 years old i remember being like oh you know who makes movies for a living like i you know i asked my mom she's like oh that's a director i was like huh All right, how do you where do you go to school to do that? So it's been all part of the journey, Um, and for me, I'm really a filmmaker who writes, and I sort of got pulled into Marvel with this great opportunity to write a very big and ambitious movie, which has allowed me a lot of freedom as a filmmaker and a director and a creator to sort of tell the stories I'm interested in telling. And so, Signals Mm -hmm. is one of those stories. Yeah, and you know, there's a lot going on in this film. You know, you've got animation, you've got some documentary style stuff happening. Um, where did it start for you with signals? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question, Dan because really what it was is you know I'm an, I'm an environmentalist. I am a filmmaker, documentary filmmaker and I've really for a long time been trying to tell stories about this. And climate change is something that's very it's very scary to talk about. you know it's a little existential. It's a little bit like talking about death. And so not everyone's interested in having those conversations and I don't blame them. And so for me, when I sort of set out to tell the story, I said, how can we make talking about climate change, sustainability and saving the world, how can we make it fun? And so that was a jumping off point, the original conception. And then we had this idea, me and Max Shepard, the incredible co-creator uh, of the show, we said, "You know, what if you could talk to everyday objects? What if you had a device that you could tune into the signals? Um, of anything, a plastic bottle, a dollar bill, a puddle in the street, or even a tree, you know? And we said, like, think about the environmental, but more importantly, just sort of the the emotional costs of being this thing that everyone hates. So that was sort of where plastic began, certainly. We said, well, if you could talk to a plastic bottle, what kind of stories would it have to tell us? And that's where the show uh, sort of jumped off, and we wanted to use a variety of mediums, you know, animation, um, stop-motion animation, documentary, Live action sketch comedy because what we really wanted to to do with this was to make a a kids show for adults. Uh, you mentioned that you did a lot of the filming in Okinawa, coastal Japan, and I think uh, the issues surrounding not I mean plastic pollution. I think specifically in in terms of the broader climate change movement really exposed after the tsunami in 2011 or whenever it was. Um, and, you know, given that there are still a lot of recovery efforts in place over there, what was the mood like when, when you went to shoot this over there? Yeah. Mac was on the ground out there. I'm based in Los Angeles and one of the main, sort of tenets of this project was we actually shot all of it during the pandemic so it was a really an international effort with a lot of different filmmakers and artists all over the world and yeah the thing about southern Japan I mean it's one of the most beautiful places on earth in my opinion but it also suffers from essentially the stream uh, I want to call it a Gulf Stream and I'm in California but essentially the currents there move Large amounts of waste from Southeast Asia, from China, basically all over the world, plastic, anything that's floating in the ocean, winds up in this sort of coastal vortex, ends up on the beaches. You know, they clean these beaches in the morning, recovered in plastic the next day. It's one of the great tragedies of sort of that region. And plastic is one of those things that just never goes away. You know, you, you, you buy it, you use it for half of a second sometimes, you know, you, you open the plastic, you rip it open and you throw it away. That never really goes away because one of the fallacies about plastic is that it, it actually can never be truly infinitely recycled. You know, you use it and you can recycle it a little bit, but it breaks down, it degrades. You always need to use more. Plastic. So recycling is a little bit of a myth. And one of the big things we discovered, speaking to experts and scientists and just, you know, really studying the story was that the only real solution to plastic is to stop using it. You know, recycling, that's not the solution in America. It might be different for Canada, but This is one of the great tragedies is recycling in America. We don't really recycle it. We put it on a boat and we ship it to China and they try to recycle it, but they really just bury it. And the truth is, ever since the pandemic and our former president, that stopped happening. And now we actually interviewed her for the film or for the series. Now, a lot of our plastic is just being buried. They say it's being recycled, but it's actually just being buried in landfills all over the country and people don't want to talk about it. And so with this film, we wanted to make you care, laugh, maybe cry, but also just most importantly, give a shit about plastic and plastic pollution. You know, plastic is very interesting because I, you know, and as the environmental movement has, I think, progressed over the years, it always goes back to the plastic straw, the single use plastic straw. And I think in many ways this straw has been a scapegoat because it's you know, everyone's like, we should ban the straw when it's really only responsible for like 0.01 of, you know, the, the pollution and, you know, some people with, you know, teeth problems or whatever actually need the plastic straw. So, uh, I mean, I, I, I guess in terms of how, how we move forward, are we putting too much emphasis in, in terms of, Uh, the climate change movement? Are we putting too much emphasis on single use plastics, as opposed to big, you know, multinationals who use, you know, so much oil and gas every year? It's all of it. I mean, that's the problem. Climate change is such a big thing. We call it a hyper object. It's not one solution. But I can tell you, straws are not the scapegoat. And there are dozens of solutions for better ways to have straws. But it's very simple. It's like, the only solution to plastic truly is to stop using it, and I can come up with a half a dozen ways to make a better straw right now. For instance, I just use pasta. Like that's an actual solution that we haven't used. Like a strip, a tube of pasta biodegrades in a couple of weeks, um, and it lasts long enough. It lasts long enough for you to drink your latte, that's for sure. But most importantly, yeah, it's absolutely multinational corporations, and that's something we we really made an effort in this series to point the finger. You know, and I think that's something we've been afraid to do for a long time and for once you know with youtube originals and with google which at the very least uh, even though it is a mega corporation it's been carbon neutral and it's working on its way towards being carbon negative and has been carbon neutral for the last like two decades so for us when i look at the plastic solution for certainly petrochemical industries you know plastic gasoline cars as we as we slowly drift away and towards move towards electric cars which is amazing thank god But gasoline, they are using the same, you know, petroleum to make the plastic that we use that we use in your cars. So the same companies are profiting off those same things. So really stopping plastic, stopping pollution, it always winds back to a handful of companies. That's the big fallacy and, and sort of myth about recycling is that if you, Dan, if you recycled every day for the rest of your life perfectly, you did everything right, it would still be one iota you know, of the waste that yeah. Walmart as a corporation produces in a single day. Uh, I remember Penn and uh, Penn, uh, Penn and Teller on their show years ago actually did a whole, you know, uh, on their show Bullshit, they did a whole thing about recycling and the fallacy of it. And people were asking them, can you debunk climate change? And he goes, no, it's just too hard. We've looked like, we, we looked at all the methodology and it's just too hard to understand. And then he later said, yes, climate change is real, but he thinks that you know when Al Gore, for example, came out and did Inconvenient Truth, that he he either slightly exaggerated it or you know he had incorrect methodology in, in terms of how he was trying to get his his point across. So how so that being the case, you know how do how do we then maybe get a message to people that, that, that are on the fence or, 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 or have, uh, you know, a skeptical mind given what, you know, given the, the Al Gore factor, so to speak. Uh, Absolutely. I have a very simple solution. I have a very simple answer to that question. If you're on the fence, you know, what is the worst thing that could happen if we're actually wrong about climate change? Like genuinely, you know, if you say to somebody like, well, climate change is a hoax, it's fake. And you're like, what we're trying to do is have less Pollution in the air and have more sustainable products in our lives. Like, is that why is that bad? Even if we were wrong, even if climate change was a hoax, why would that be a bad thing? Why would having less gas cars shooting smog in your face be a bad thing? In 1970, in the 1970s in California, especially Los Angeles, where I currently live, they didn't have smog laws, right? Cars had emission standards. And so there was literally poison gas that hung over the city. You can see photos of it. It is nightmarish, it's dystopian. You know, because it was poison air and because there were so many cars emitting so much smog in the 70s and 80s, we passed smog laws in California that now exist all over the country. And oh, it's a big surprise. The air quality got much better and you can see it. I mean, it's like literally you can see it with your eyes and photographs that smog went away. And so uh, when I say to somebody I'm like. If you don't believe in climate change and we are and I'm lying to you and it's wrong. What's the worst thing that could possibly happen to you, the individual, if we are wrong? It just means your air is a little bit nicer to breathe. And we've planted a couple more trees. Like, why are you so resistant to making the world a slightly better place? And Mm -hmm. I think you have to look in your own lives if you're somebody who's a climate change denier and don't do don't do research. Don't go on YouTube and watch videos. Just ask yourself that question. Like, why would using less plastic make your life worse? right do you uh, do you think that there's a there's a fine uh, a financial aspect to it as well because people say you know we're using you know x amount of dollars to fight climate change and if we're wrong we've wasted the money but if we are right we've saved money absolutely i have a, a very simple answer to climate change i mean what is saving money climate change fighting climate change it's one of the most incredible ways to create new jobs all over the country. I mean, we look at people saying, oh, you know, I'm out of work. I used to work in the coal mines and they took that away from me. And I'm like, if you want a great job where you're servicing a massive solar field, that's a good high paying union job. You learn that skill that's going to be useful for the next hundred years. We could bring back the middle-class in this country single-handedly by passing climate change legislation, like, like the green new deal. I mean, like these are things that are going to create jobs. We're going to actually create, make them. I mean, you want to make America great again, bring electric car manufacturing to this country. Like it's these simple things that are, they're sort of, we've got it all backwards and it's not that somebody's ignorant or, or stupid. It's just that they've been framed the wrong way for decades decades. Climate change is something that's very real. It doesn't care if you're rich. It doesn't care if you're poor, white, black. It doesn't care if you're from another country or if you're American. It's coming for everyone. And it doesn't matter if if you don't believe that it's real. I mean, just look at all these things that are happening around us. It's not something that's going to say like one day, suddenly the world will end because of climate change. It's just something that's slowly happening. And that's the scariest part is you can't point at it and say, look, look at that asteroid hitting the earth, you know, look at that glacier that suddenly melted. It's not so catastrophic and diabolical. It's actually just slowly happening. And the problem is, yeah, in your lifetime, Dan, in my lifetime, you know, I'm in my thirties. I don't think that I will be affected truly, truly, truly like my quality of life by climate change. But I think my kids might. And even if I'm wrong, like, why would I take that chance? Like, why wouldn't I try to leave the world a tiny bit better than I found it? And that's sort of what I always ask anyone. I'm not trying to change your mind. I'm trying to change your heart. You know, you have to feel like when you go out among some trees and you're like, well, this is kind of nice. We shouldn't cut down all the trees. Um, so that's what I always try to yeah. point to. It's it's sort of like, even if we're wrong, whoa, what's the worst that could happen? We make we make the world a little bit better? But one of my favorite parts is the uh, animation sequence with uh, with Mother Earth. Uh uh, I'm curious. I got mega Godzilla vibes um, when when watching that, like, you know, the, the, the old school uh, Godzilla films from the 50s and 60s. Is that where that came from? Was that sort of a, a, a throwback to that? Absolutely, Dan. Yeah, there's. it's actually a genre. So Mac, my co-creator, who's amazing, he's based in Tokyo. He's actually Canadian. He's a Canadian based in, uh, in Japan. So we have a lot of love for that culture. I'm also half Japanese, um, but American. And those are called tokusatsu. And it's sort of like a genre of the monster movies where, you know, Mothra's fighting Gojira and they're all going head to head. And so for us, we said, what's the scariest monster we could think of? And we're like, well, it's greed. And uh, it is plastic. You know, if you go on the beach and you're swimming around, I live in Los Angeles and there was an oil spill, an oil spill in 2021, about a month ago. And I'm like, I cannot believe in in 2021, we are still having oil spills on our beaches and killing animals and locking down these whole massive parts of the coast. And so that was really sort of the reaction to that. These sort of monsters that live among us. And, you know, if they could fight, would they win or would Mother Earth win? And um, right now I would say greed's probably winning, but I like to think in our fictional scientific science world, uh, Mother Earth might win with the power of hope. Um, And then the other interesting is the uh, all those sort of like YouTube, I guess, snippets they were where you interview all these different scientists and climatologists and whatnot. How, how did that come about and how did that all get put together? Yeah, that was a kind of a gift of, of the COVID pandemic. Obviously it was really, uh, it's been terrible. It's still going on. It's still kind of terrible, but what that allowed us to do was reach out directly through zoom the way that we're talking right now and speak to dozens of leading scientists and experts and um, people working on plastic alternatives, entrepreneurs, and just sort of say to them like, Hey, we're making a show uh, about plastic about plastic alternatives and can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing? And so that was this incredible door that was open to us. And we got to talk to people making seaweed plastic, mushroom mushroom plastic alternatives, you know, using all these ways to try to replace something that is inherently destructive with something that's inherently uh, non-damaging. You know, if you make your plastic out of seaweed, it lasts long enough for you to use what you need it for. And then it just biodegrades into the ocean. Throw seaweed in the ocean; it's just nothing. You know, you throw a plastic bottle in the ocean; it'll never go away. So, what was your favorite part of making this project? That's a great, that's a great question. And, you know, there was many, the joy of creation is is unbounded, but for us, it was a freedom. It was a freedom to really explore this issue and try to make it a conversation. Like I said, from the beginning, climate change is divisive. It's scary. It's um, it's complicated. It's not, it's certainly not fun. That's not a word that I would use to describe it, but it's important, you know, and I wanted to be able to try to make a show. And that was the big question to make a show that tackled that. And so for me, my favorite part was just that opportunity to speak to a lot of people, to speak to a wide audience, to have YouTube, you know, sort of standing behind us as we made this show and hopefully a whole season of this show. Uh, it, was, it was a gift. Uh, and finally, what is the status on Ruin right now? That's a great question, Dan. Dan's done his homework, I have to say. Um, Ruin is, uh, just for context, is a script that I wrote before I came to Hollywood, before I had the chance to tell any stories. I wrote it in a cabin in the woods with my cousin, Ryan, who I work with as a co-writer. And uh, it's a World War II story about an ex-SS officer hunting down the members of his old unit in an attempt to atone for his crimes during the war. And it was sort of the script that got me into filmmaking, into Hollywood, into sort of the industry. Um, and we had Margot Roby attached to Star. And that's sort of, you know, uh, the life of a movie is long. It takes a lot of turns and twists. And Margot is still attached. We have an incredible producer. And right now it's sort of, it's waiting to be made. I think Eternals has changed a lot of uh, things about where we stand, certainly in the industry. And the truth is, you know, it's a movie that I've always dreamed of directing. So... I'm a filmmaker, I've always been a filmmaker, and Ruin is a script that's very close to my heart. So we don't know exactly how it will be made right now. There's a a nice path towards uh, the the silver screen, but it is a script that right now, if everything goes according to plan, we'll hopefully be shooting in the next few years. It's interesting you mentioned Justin, because I know you have a director attached right now, right? In uh, in Justin Kurzel. We uh, did. Justin's a tremendously talented director. He got very busy shooting um, a show called Shantaram for Apple. So he's been on and off the project. Right now, you know, we, we haven't spoken in a minute, although congratulations to him for Nitram, which won Best Actor at Cannes this year. Um, and last we spoke, you know, he was developing something else and we may, we may be parting ways, but it's been, um, like I said, movies take many paths and um, we're hopeful to see it soon, that story on the biggest possible screen. Well, uh, we've got Ruin. Like you mentioned, you've got Eternals, which just had its premiere and its wide release is... Ooh. November 5th. Yeah, November it comes out 5th. next next Thursday. So dangerously soon. Go see it. Go see it twice. You know, go yeah. see it on opening weekend. Enjoy it. It's it's a very different movie. It's yeah. it's definitely different than what you're used to and from a Marvel movie. But I think, you know, if, if you like films, if you like stories, if you like... Uh, deep characters we try to do something different and take you somewhere special so yeah. i think you're going to enjoy it and then you've got signals which uh is now can you watch it now on youtube original yeah signals, yes. signals come, comes out i think it's tomorrow because it's actually i'm in london so i'm eight you know wherever eight hours ahead of you but i believe right. it comes out on october 28th it's free on youtube watch it watch it twice Comment, like, subscribe, do all that YouTube stuff. But yeah, it's a fun show and we really want to do a season of it. So thank you so much for talking to me about it and, and giving me an opportunity. No worries. Thank you. And uh, best of luck on everything. Best of luck on Eternals. And uh, yeah, we hope to see maybe Ruin uh, in, in a couple of years as well. All right, Dan, I appreciate that. Thank you. All Thanks, Kaz. Have a good day. Talk to you soon. Bye. That was my conversation with Kaz Furpo, Signals is out now on YouTube. And oh yeah, check out his little film called Eternals. From plastic and climate change, we move over to a natural element, this time, wood. Jesse Toso is a sculpturist and artist who uses, who creates Art with wood, whether it's bespoke furniture, gifts, sculpture, and wall art. He recently took part in the 20th anniversary of the East Side Cult- Culture Crawl, uh, which happens in East Vancouver every year, largely on commercial. Drive, My first time talking about wood and, you know, we got to talk about the different types and, you know, how he relates his art to the environment, especially since, you know, using wood can be considered a problem for climate change. You can visit his website at TosoWorks.com tosowoodworks.com that's t-o-s-o woodworks dot com this is my conversation with wood artist jesse toso jesse jesse toso how's uh how's it going today
1: pretty good pretty good how are you doing
0: I'm doing well, I'm doing well. Um, you are taking part once again in the uh, Vancouver Eastside Culture Crawl. Um, that's right. I know this is your seventh year, if I'm correct.
1: Yeah, that's right. This will be our seventh year in, the, uh, yeah, in this event. Pretty excited.
0: What, 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 do, you, what do you like in a, a, about uh, an event like the Culture Crawl?
1: Well, for me, it's a great uh, opportunity to showcase my work uh really i don't have a lot of opportunity to show it to so many people at once uh you know we get thousands of people coming through our our studio or gallery and um it happened it happens once a year and it's uh it's kind of what i look forward to every year
0: how does how does one get into the art of wood carving
1: uh that's a good question i started i mean i was always uh helping my dad, he's a carpenter, and he's been building houses, you know, my whole life. And, um, and so I've been playing in the shop and I'd make, make little things here and there. And when I was in high school, they had a uh, chainsaw carving competition in Campbell River and I'd watch them do this. And, and after a while, a, a few years after, it was basically 2005, I decided uh, I'm gonna try this. So I borrowed a chainsaw and tried it out. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah. Uh
0: you know chainsaws are you know can be finicky can be dangerous how how much practice did you have to get in just in terms of like knowing how to use
1: one of those things well that's a good question i didn't have any practice i'd actually never used a chainsaw (laughs) (laughs) but i figured i could use i've used other tools um you know in my dad's shop or you know i'm using skill saws and other power tools so this was uh I mean, it was a step up, but, um, and I definitely had someone go through the safety procedures. There's definitely some yeah. basic, the basic things to do that, uh, will keep you pretty safe. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I learned a lot that first, uh, carving event for sure.
0: Um, and I know there's a lot of other carvers that, that use more of the, of the, 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 the little like small carving knives is, is that something you've done or do you only work with chainsaws? um
1: well I've, I've been all over the place i started with chainsaws but then these as angle grinders and sanders and whatnot it's only been in the last like i'd say about five years that i've been really getting into the tools like the the, um, the hand tools you know the little carving because they they uh it's they're a lot better for obviously for detail uh they leave a nice clean finish where you almost didn't even have to stand um so i've been doing some smaller projects using hand tools lately and it's 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 been fun. Uh, but it's uh it's nice to have the range because the chainsaws a lot faster for <laughs> really the big stuff.
0: Is is there do you make a distinction between carving and sculpture? Are they
1: are they related? Or are they the same? Like well, some people use them interchangeably. I kind of feel like carving is Like a reductive art where you're taking away, reducing the piece. You start with a block and you take away all the pieces until it's the final piece, and that's kind of a carving. In the end, it's a sculpture. Sculpture, I feel, is also—I don't know—for some reason, I feel like it's like clay or something where you can add it back on, and you know, you can kind of sculpt it. You're you're moving, shape, you're shaping the form, reducing it, and add. Like it's an awesome additive form, so it's both. So, but I don't know if that's actually the, the technical term or the technical difference. Um, I know sculpture sounds, I don't know, a little more elite. <laughs> so I don't know why. Carving just seems, you know, mm-hmm. someone, you know, like almost whittling. But uh, yeah. in the end, I think if a piece is, a, it, you know, speaks for itself, if it's a piece of art, it's a piece of art. Uh,
0: and I know, I mean, in addition to, to your carvings and, and your sculpture, you also create furniture, I know um in in that sense do you consider yourself a builder
1: well uh I was a builder I built houses I used to build houses uh and I build I mean I build a creator you know I don't know what the it's it's all kind of the same thing I mean a wood artist is sometimes people refer to me as a wood artist uh, but uh yeah I mean I mean, I can I mean I like making furniture. It's um it's usually the wood that drives me draws me to it, so though the the initial, you know, I see a piece of wood and I what can I make out of it? It's like, well, this would make a good table, or this would make a good chair, or this would make a good eagle, you know, it depends on what the what the piece of wood yeah. looks like or what it is.
0: How how soon after you come across a a piece of wood or or, or, or maybe a stack? how quickly does an idea come to you that you want to turn it into something or, or what that's going to be?
1: Well, sometimes it's immediate. uh, But often I do have to wait for the wood itself to uh, basically prose, like dry the season. I mean, if it's a freshly cut tree, it'll, and then you mill, if you mill it up, it could take years before it actually dries out. Uh, But sometimes with sculpture, that's okay. You can carve it away and things will change and evolve and, uh, so, and it's a, actually easier to carve certain woods when they're green. Um, so it, it really depends on the project. It could vary. Like I've got a few, you know a, a project where I've got a tree that I've been using, and I've, basically the process is I take a chunk of it, I carve it out roughly, bring it into the uh, into my shop, and then it dries over a few few weeks, and then I keep carving it, and then I, as it dries and it chains, shapes shapes. Sorry, it cracks and shapes into its natural state once it's dry, and then uh, and then I can finish it, and it's uh, a finished piece. And that whole process could take a few months, basically.
0: You know, I, I know when we sort of read in the media about at least traditional carving, a lot of it is done with cedar uh, wood. Mm-hmm. But I know, having um, browsed your portfolio, you use uh, you use several different types of wood. Um, are are what what first of all why is cedar why is cedar always been such a good type of wood for this art form but why but why does it not work in, in a way that some other w- woods white, other woods might for some other types of sculpture
1: um, cedar's really nice to carve uh, we're lucky here in BC to have a lot of it and all along the west coast uh, so it's somewhat plentiful. Um, but it's a very nice wood to carve it's soft uh it le- it leaves really nice detail you can really detail the work and it'll stay it, it'll uh you know the detail stays um and the uh and the longevity of, longevity of the wood too like it'll last outside for uh years and years whereas other woods like even fir or spruce or something will rot away within years you know so it's uh it's like you often see cedar fences, just, they just stay, they change color, but they, they'll last for, you know, 20 years. Uh, but if you've made the same fence out of pine or oak or, you know, something else, it'll just rot away and twist up. And so it's a very stable um, wood. Uh, why isn't it used for building? It's, uh, I think it's just the expense. It's a more expensive wood. Um, and, uh, yeah, it wouldn't work as long as much. I don't know if it has the same strength, like structural strength for like beams and stuff. But that being said, I think it would anyway, <laughs> it's really nice to carve. Uh, both, well, I like red cedar, but yellow cedar is also a nice uh, wood that's been traditionally used for carving just, just because you can carve it and it doesn't have it almost it's almost like it doesn't have grain where grain is can be you have to be aware of grain when you're carving just by the way you cut. Like you can imagine if you cut the wrong way, it can split. Whereas if you, you know, you kind of have to carve one in one direction, whereas with yellow cedar, you can carve kind of like any direction, like it's almost like foam in a way or carving butter. <laughs>
0: um, how, how long on average would you say one piece would take you?
1: Um, I would say it really depends on the pieces. I mean, In these competitions we have a limited amount of time so something in a competition we have like three or four days so that ends up being about 25 to 40 hours i think one one competition is 50 hours long um so those are you know huge pieces and and it's you know but it's go 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 uh when i'm on my own doing commissioned work and whatnot a piece can like i'm working on a piece now that's probably going to take me in all about uh about 20 hours 25 hours you know so I'd like to I'd like to get something wrapped up in about a week but uh sometimes it takes me just a day sometimes it'll take me two three weeks kind of depends uh I like the the, the uh flexibility of just kind of working on smaller projects but I can have a bunch going on and so if I'm not working on something I have another project to work on and bounce back and forth
0: uh I noticed on your portfolio that there's there are a couple of pieces that have Things other than wood, like you had the the torso, I think that had some glass on it. Mm -hmm. Um how do you how do you go about adding stuff to wood? How delicate is that process?
1: Um, well, with glass, it's that was that was a shattered, I don't think I have another piece here, but yeah, um, it's a matter of just sticking it on, like gluing it on, using adhesives. Um, I do enjoy the the uh contrast of materials, adding like steel. I used to work with concrete uh, and I haven't done a lot of it lately, but I like the, the mix of concrete and wood, like having a concrete base and a wood top or something. And um, and steel, of course, it always looks good. I've got a couple benches or a couple uh, coffee tables with steel plates for shelving, big, thick, solid steel plates. Um, it's a different material. I mean, I, I haven't, I, it's, it, with metal, for instance, I don't have the welding skills and whatnot, that would be pretty cool to be able to do that. But uh, um, I, I mean, I have connections they, with people who do do that. So sometimes we do collaborations where I'll make the top and someone will make the steel base and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I really enjoy the, um, having several materials, several mediums in one piece. Uh, and I'm gonna get back to working with multimedia in that different sense of the words.
0: I'm curious as to whether you and other artists in your profession have, have talked about or been affected by the environmental movement and all, you know, we're, you know, with, cause there's a lot of talk about saving the old growth forests and obviously to be a wood artist, you have to cut down trees, even though the wood that you use is generally a lot older than, 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 than a fresh tree cut. But is, is that, is that aspect Something you think about at all?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. It's 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 something that's um. I mean, we're I feel very privileged privileged to be able to carve some of these trees that uh, we get to carve in the competitions. Um, and they're generally donated by logging companies, so it's pretty challenge. It's pretty tough to see. I mean, I see both sides of it. I don't want to. I don't want to see old growth forests being cut down anymore. I think that's, uh that's a, that's that's a problem. Um, And so when I do have a piece of old growth theater that I'm carving for in a competition, I'll take all the scrap pieces home and I'll make, I mean, all all these pieces and stuff are made from, or not all, I have some pieces uh, made from old growth theater just because it's, I mean, every little piece is precious, I feel like. And, uh, I'm always trying to honor the tree and I think it's important to, uh, to take that into consideration. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I'm, it's uh i see both sides i mean all logging companies and logging i mean that's what kept that's what uh d c is uh you know founded on basically and uh so it's it's it would be a challenge to stop but i think if we look at the re- renewable forestry practices and whatnot we can we can actually make this uh feasible um, i'd say Almost, I'd say 90% of the wood I work with is reclaimed or recycled. Just because I just, I, yeah, I can't throw away wood, <laughs> and I see. I think it's definitely uh, a problem when we're going in and just clear cutting forests. Uh, and um, yeah, I don't know. There's there's certain ways I can probably uh, try to make a difference with you know the types of just being making people aware of where where the wood comes from and whatnot. I hope that makes it uh i don't know i i I, it is a struggle i definitely think about it i think it's a a challenge um my livelihood is based on trees uh and and they come from (laughs) forests but i think it's in in the end we can all work together and and make it work uh for everybody uh and including the planet
0: you know on that note um a lot of people will say you know carving at least traditionally is, was sort of brought to us by a lot of the indigenous um, peoples that, that lived here. You know, I would always see indigenous men, you know, on the streets of Vancouver with a little, just like a little whittle, you know, whittling down mm-hmm. like a, you know, a stick or something. Have, have you learned anything from the way in which, I guess the, the traditional people of, of this land create and, 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 and carve their work at all
1: is, is, is that oh something? definitely yeah i've worked alongside some uh, indigenous carvers uh and it's fascinating um to watch uh and the skill levels are just unreal um and it just i mean just uh i mean even te- technically the skill is amazing and then just to see the um the results from you know carvings totems and stuff that have been made centuries ago that are still intact makes you know made, makes me think about like wow what what do they do to make that uh last and and one it's made out of generally made out of cedar uh and two they don't have a lot of um uh weak parts like it's it kind of um what do you call it uh, uh it's almost just on a surface um and anyway it's very structurally sound and it's often part of their uh buildings and whatnot too and um it's yeah i don't know there's just a lot to be said i think it's it's, again it's an honor to be carving wood basically from their lands i feel like that's important to recognize as well like it's you know this wood isn't mine (laughs) um and uh yeah again it's it's important to keep these things in mind when we're when we're out there carving
0: um I think I think BC is a great place to be a wood artist because like you said, there's so much forest, um, so, so much trees. What has, you know, how has living in this province helped you as an artist, do you
1: think? Well, I think, like I say, the abundance of wood uh, is, uh, I mean, it, it's, the, the abundance creates a lot of waste in what, what it comes down to so working on this construction site i would see a lot of waste materials just heading or renovations i was doing renovations for a long time and you take a whole kitchen and you basically throw it in the garbage and you build new ones so it's like all those pieces could be used again and so it's uh and then yeah i would always be saving big chunks of wood and then just getting in contact with for instance there, you know on, on Kurada, the bridge company who pull up old bridges and replace them with new ones but the old bridges are made out of old timber oh again old growth cedar. all this and and that, that's it's not waste they're actually salvaging it and, and using it properly uh but there's a lot of that you know there's built logging roads everywhere that are built out of old trees and, and buildings they're all buildings coming down now and they're all made, made out of first first growth cedar and fir, and it's, uh you know, if I was, if we were living anywhere else, I wouldn't have that abundance. I wouldn't have access to these things where I can just go into my backyard and play around with a chainsaw. Like it's, uh, it's, it's exciting. And then it's also common enough that, you know, our, like chainsaw carving is, is somewhat of a, um, an art that's uh, somewhat known around BC. So I, we can set up a little, you know, side road station and and people will drive by and, and just uh, keep buying our art, which is, you know, like uh, we can carve and people will come up and just take it away right away, certainly. I don't know if that yeah. makes sense.
0: We, you yeah. know, we've, talk, we've talked a lot about how wood is recycled, but I, I think one of the trends we're seeing these days in certain forms, fashion for example is very common, is up the art of upcycling, You know, turning mm. something into something else. Is that something that is feasible um, in, the, in the area of, of wood arts?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, I think a, a lot. I mean, like, yeah, I, I mean, we can take any kind of thing that's been like a beam from a house, like a, that hold, that used to hold up the house. That's a nice big beam. That can be made into several things, potentially could make, you know, um, and uh, yeah. I mean, wood is very versatile. I mean, it can be made into structural things or it could be made into artistic, that can carve something. Um, um but as far as upcycling i mean yeah i mean it, we've done i do like uh a lot of my wood some of the shelving and stuff is made from old fence boards the fence a fence came down and i just took all the fences pulled pull all the nails out it stacked it in our garage and and now i can make uh i mean anything out of it but basically I can make shelving and frames and whatnot yeah i don't know.
0: um you know we we talked about how you've done mixed media a little bit have would you ever consider carving something that's not wood, you know, I, I think ice, for example, I think if you're really good at chainsaw carving wood, you'd be probably fairly good at ice sculpture. They, it just seems to be mm-hmm. very similar kind of. I would love
1: to ca- carve ice, uh, at some opportunity. Um, a lot of, yeah, a lot of my carving chainsaw carving friends are also ice sculptors and it's, uh, it's really nice to see. And I would love to try it. Um, I'm not so good with a cold. <laughs> <laughs> <They are. laughs> But, uh, but I would love to do it. I think it's, it's, it's one of those, um, I'd like to try ice. I'd like to try stone. I think that would be really cool. Uh, I would, I did a little, like I said, I used to try, uh, concrete. I used to make stuff out of concrete. Um, and I, a few times, I mean, I, I've done a few things in the movies and they make stuff out of styrofoam. But, uh, again, I'm not so keen on that just because it's a, Pretty environmentally, uh, not a very environmentally uh, sound product. But, um, but yeah, I, I would love to try. I mean, kind of anything. I feel like uh, I could try. You know, if, depending on the tools, if it can be done, then I can. I'd love to try it.
0: You know, it's funny. We we hear in in politics all the time them talking about lumber and you know soft wood and and hardwood, but I think the average person might not necessarily know what is a hardwood or what is a softwood as as a carver. can, Can you speak to what makes, you know, what makes something a hardwood and what makes something a softwood?
1: It's basically, uh, what it comes down to leaves or needles. Like an evergreen tree is generally a softwood. Uh, and they, um, so that's like cedar, fir, pine, spruce. And then uh, if they have leaves that fall every year, a deciduous like oak or ash or uh, maple, uh, that's, those are all hardwoods. Um, sometimes softwoods are harder than hardwoods. <laughs> and sometimes hardwoods are softer than softwoods. It's not actually about the density. I mean, generally it is, but it's not really about soft and hard. It's just the, the types of Like the, um, not like it's the species. I don't know if it's the species, whatever, the the different types of trees. Um, Softwoods. um, Yeah, as far as I mean, they are generally softer. Cedar is a really nice soft carving wood. But I've also carved out of oak and um, maple, you know, kind of whatever, whatever's available, whatever's given to me or whatever's available at the competitions or events that I'm at. I carved a giant Sasquatch out of oak, and that was that was like 15 feet tall, and uh, that was pretty interesting. It was, uh, was a lot harder than cedar, for sure. Is—is
0: <laughs> <laughs> is that the biggest thing you've ever made?
1: Uh, that's one of the biggest. I made a spider like uh, 16 feet in diameter on the side of a building in Campbell River. Um, I made some giant salmon in Port Alberni. I think they might be both 16 feet tall. Um yeah, that's probably the biggest of those between those. Another big foot on Sasquatch Mountain.
0: What's the smallest thing you've ever made?
1: Uh that's a good question. I've made oh maybe uh oh rings. I guess. Oh, wh- oh I got wow. little like little wooden rings wow. made up of like several layers cut kind of. I do make it, rings or bow ties.
0: Actually, I, I did come across there. I think I saw them on Shark Tank, but it was they were bow ties that were made out of wood. Mm-hmm. Like it, it was a tie company, but all the ties were wood.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I mean, that's not me, but I've made bow ties <laughs> out of wood. Yeah.
0: It, 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 you know, you mentioned the ring, and, and it strikes me that it, making something that small is perhaps more difficult than making something that's a little bit larger because just because of, of the, the, you know, the, the, in, in, you know, Yeah. Of it. yeah is, would you say that's true that it's, it's harder to go yeah. smaller than larger?
1: Yeah, it is. When it's, it's often yeah more challenging to go small. And it's, so when it's a it's challenge, it's, it's a tough sell too, because you think someone something bigger should be more expensive than something small. So can you just make it smaller? Or it'd be less like, well, that doesn't work because it'll actually be more challenging. The smaller you get so, to a degree I mean it's you know depending on what it is but yeah it is you're right with that because uh, oh. making these little rings it's, it's hard work on my on my uh fingers <laughs> like squeezing the little yeah. by the sander and whatnot but uh but chainsaw their whole level of <laughs> discomfort <laughs> you,
0: you know it's funny there's there's been sort of a, a quasi trend on social media of you know artists calling out sort of bad customers or, 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 you know, or people who are saying, oh, how come this is so expensive? Don't you know how to do this? Blah, 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 blah. Right. Yeah. What, what, what do you make of that? And and, and what do you do when a, a customer tries to question either the either the price or your, you know, or your breakdown or,
1: or your work? Yeah, that's always a challenge. Uh, luckily, I have a business partner who deals with that <laughs> because I, I have a hard time negotiating I like yeah. for me it, it's not I mean it's not about the money and so it should right. and, and sometimes it should be <laughs> but uh but yeah I mean you get some challenge like it, it's it's tough I mean it when you get people who just don't yeah like you say they don't value or they, they want to haggle they want to say oh yeah can you you know do it for this much it's like well if you do that to your plumber like if you do that to anybody else like why is an artist different that you can you, feel you can negotiate you know and so it is it is tough but we're getting I mean we're getting better and better clients every year and that's kind of nice just having return clients who are uh who just yeah they appreciate what what I do and and uh don't mind paying for it
0: you know during the pandemic you know and I think especially when it first started sort of within the first six months when you know there was like no new shows coming out you couldn't go to theaters You couldn't go to the theater, you know, you couldn't go to see a stage play. There was a lot of debate about the arts place in society and how important they were. And, you know, there was a newspaper article taken out said the arts weren't very important and yada, yada, yada. Are arts an essential service? Like, where, where do you think we need to put arts in
1: relation to other, you know, in relation to society as a whole? I think it's pretty essential. I mean, look at, we were all bored and we didn't have, we didn't have any TVs or movies to watch because we did, the artists couldn't make them, you know, like they couldn't make the TV shows and the, and the theater and whatnot. So it's, it's, it is, it is essential. And when in certain times like this, it's, it's great for people to have something to get their minds off what's going on. Nobody, we're all tired of talking about COVID and all this stuff. So (laughs) we just want to, you know, watch a movie or, or you know, yeah. go look at some art, or uh, you know, whatever it is, and that's that's uh, just think about something different. And I think that's what art is about—is like making someone just think differently. So it's, yeah, um, yeah I think you it's know, essential.
0: Not only for the arts, but I think you know, just in general, I think people are worried that prices of goods might increase, whether it's food or whether it's art, you know, be, because there was such a collapse of so many industries as an artist how do you sort of balance that tricky line it's because you haven't worked so you need to charge more but the people that you're making it for also haven't worked and can't pay more
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah and it's a challenge too because things that are uh made in china aren't available anymore or they are and so it's like you got a choice you can buy this ten dollar thing made in china or pay me fifty dollars for the same thing but it's like well support local it's your it's your choice it's ultimately ultimately up to the consumer and it's like i i can't you know i can't deal i can't uh uh help out in any way except for i I can just keep doing what i'm doing and and if you can't then we'll find someone else who can you know like um i don't know it's 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 challenging i mean i always want it's i always want to give my friends and my family deals and whatnot and just people around me and And again, for me, it's not even about the money. It's just a matter of like getting things, you know, helping people out and getting people. Actually, what I did a lot during the, during this COVID was, uh, helping people set up their home offices. (laughs) I made a lot of desks, a lot of shelving, like a lot of stuff like that. And so that's been really rewarding for, for me and, and the people that I've been helping out. So that's, uh, you know, it's just kind of pivot a bit, just change, change it up. Um, and, uh, keep going, <laughs> keep producing. What's
0: one, I guess, thing, whether it's a, you know, a sculpture or furniture or just any piece of art that you haven't made made yet that you would say, I
1: really want to do this? Um, well, I'm kind of probably a large sculpture, multimedia, It'd be wood, concrete, uh, steel, and glass, all of those incorporated. Um, and it'd probably be of a person. I'd, I'd, I'm not sure what it is yet, but I mean, right now it's a woman. Like I've got like a, like a woman in a dress and I've, got a, uh, uh, I've done a few right now where the dress is glass. So the woman would be wood, And then maybe her hair would be uh, metal, like uh, wire. And then I'm not sure the concrete yet. I made one uh, sculpture with a she had a concrete uh, scarf uh, that was blowing in the wind, and I like I like that idea of the contrast, like making concrete look light and fluffy, um, making glass look um, like angular or like structure, and then uh, and wood being kind of opposite, like well, I like Kirby wood, but, you know, when wood is blocky, I mean, that's kind of an architecture. Um, the contrast of having, uh, and then what was the last one, concrete being floaty. Uh, anyway, I, I want to make something like that. I want to make a big piece. I haven't exactly figured it all out yet. I'm just trying little pieces here and there. Um, I feel like I'm practicing. I'm doing a whole bunch of, like, torsos. I don't know if you there's a few behind me here. I just, yeah. like... Um, and so i do i've done about 20 25 of those and i kind of want to do more i want to do like with hands and feet and i'm kind of just just studying and i'm not sure what it is for yet (laughs) but it's all going to uh accumulate and i'll make some big project.
0: you know you you describing the size of it makes me think do you do you consider statues a type of sculpture or are they their own thing
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Like statues, like a, yeah, for sure. I mean, someone sculpted them, someone created them at some point for sure.
0: As, as someone who, who works in that art form, what do you make of the conversation we're having about statues of historical figures and tearing them down? Because obviously we understand why they're being torn down Mm -hmm. but there's also
1: an artist behind them as well like yeah but again i think the artists in those cases were hired they were commissioned i don't think they were supporting the what they're who they were carving and when you see carvings of people that shouldn't necessarily be celebrated i've got no problem with them coming down you know like different times whatever it doesn't matter i think uh even if an artist does support someone and it's controversy, i't do know controversy is never a bad thing necessarily, but it's or not always a bad thing, but it's um I don't know i, I again it comes down to who paid them who you know I don't think it's a it's a slight on the artist when you're taking down their work if it's a, a you know a carving of uh, a Ku Klux Klan dude you know like that's <laughs> that's <laughs> not on the artist you know like
0: <laughs> yeah but. um if 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 you know People who are, who are coming to and experiencing the culture crawl for the first time, what do you want them to experience? What do you want them to, to take away?
1: Um, I think uh, that's a good question. I mean, just experiencing all the art. Like, it's so cool to be in this building. I mean, I'm in the 1000 Parker building, and it's got three, four stories of there's probably 100 artists in here. And so it's, it's just exposing. It's such a great opportunity to see the artists in their working environment. Um, and a lot, I mean, if, I mean, most of the, most of us don't have a place to well, uh, have, have a, like a gallery to show it in. So it, it, it is the one opportunity to see a lot of this art and, and to buy it. I mean, you, you, when you go to a gallery, you can see, but you're, you know, there's a whole other market for that. But I mean, it, you're buying it right from the, studio right from where they make, make it. And I think that's, that's awesome. It's, a, it's, it's exciting. I remember, I mean, I haven't actually... Anyway, it, it's, been, um, it's been really cool to participate in it. And uh, uh, I think as a, as a person to walk around, like as a um, uh, first time, it's a matter of being prepared for the crowds because <laughs> it gets quite busy. I don't know how busy it's going to be this year there's going to be restrictions but uh, in the past before covid it would be packed wall-to-wall people um and art i mean you can go just all the around the whole neighborhood there's you know hundreds of hundreds of studios and galleries that are uh, worth checking out so it's um it's a fun experience it's like all, like a whole weekend um and uh, actually some i even do uh, chainsaw dem car, chainsaw carving demonstrations so that's that's also a draw people come around obviously that's outside and <laughs> weather dependent but um that's been fun they can come check out and i'm not the only one there's other people doing their art live they got different shows and performances and whatnot um and it's all free like you can just walk around you don't have there's no you know i mean they'll be checking passports i'm sure uh, covid whatever but um but yeah you just walk around there's no uh And there's often food trucks and it's just kind of a nice little festival in november
0: (laughs) do you do you get to to meet and mingle with any of the other artists
1: yeah to a degree i mean definitely in our in our shop there i mean there are about 10 of us in our dozen of us in our in the shop that i work out of um and then if we get to take breaks we can walk around the rest of the building and see and and wander around it there's kind of a party atmosphere and so the first few nights are it's kind of fun to To meet the other artists in, in the building stuff. so yeah, for sure.
0: Well, uh, the east si- the east Side culture crawl starts next next week.
1: No. it's uh yeah, there the there's the a preview weekend, I believe it's the twelfth, okay. and then the uh we'll actually be open our doors on the eighteenth, nineteenth, twentieth, twenty first, something like that. That weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Right yeah, uh, Thursday, Friday, evening, Saturday, Sunday during the day.
0: Well, uh, I encourage all the listeners, if you are in the Vancouver area or sort of lower mainland, go check out Jesse's shop at the Easthead Culture Crawl and go check out all the artists. It's going to be visual art, all, all any kind of art you can imagine. Um, there will be. Uh, Jesse Tosa, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you very much. I had all a good it. one. You too. Have a good one. Cheers. Well, that was my conversation with artist Jesse Toso. He's a carver. He creates sculpture, uh, wall paintings, chainsaw art, uh, and he recently appeared at the 25th anniversary of the East Side Culture Crawl. Uh, if you're interested in his work, you may contact him directly by visiting TosoWoodworks.com. That's T-O-S-O woodworks dot com and you can also visit him at stumpartist.com I love that name that does it for me today my thanks to Jesse Toso my thanks to Kaz Furpo. thanks for tuning in I'll see you next time
1: bye